Like, how many times a week do you get an itchy ass? Like, how many times a week? Yeah. Or how many times like an hour? I would like, if I may, to take you on a very strange journey. Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. I'm being joined this week by the lovely Erin. How are you, my dear? Hi, diddly-ho. I'm good. How are you? Uh, super-duper. Wicked. Mm. It is June 8th, and we've a stellar show. I said stellar. That's different. Different than what? Break, breaking it up. Nice. Different from what I normally say. What do you usually say? I don't listen to the I'm show. I'm veering off script. <laughs> uh, I, I usually say great show. Yeah, but this one's have, stellar. It's fucking stellar. So we're going back old school style here. Uh, we're talking first satanic statement old school. And the devil's advocate, we're going to talk about the first satanic statement. Statement. Or something. Uh, in Infernal Informant. Bergdahl says he was tortured by Taliban captors. Didn't see that one coming. And Texas Republican favor reparative therapy platform for gays. It's good to see the Texas Republicans keeping it circa 1950. And then down to the crossroads, episode... Is this right? You wrote it, so... Are we at two years of down to the crossroads can that possibly be Woo! Oh. two years oh my gosh break out the hats and hooters <laughs> what's this week oh i'm calling this one tapped out oh shit that's not a sign of things to come is it oh <laughs> no it's not as ominous as it may sound it sounds very ominous i was a little worried no no all right, all right. good 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 all right, so a uh, little news before we jump in here for this here nonsensical show. Um, I'm finally wrapping up a lot of the projects that I've been like buried under. And though I have one looming that is going to be pretty big, I, I'm kind of this like in-between phase now where I'm finally, you know, I'm, I'm sending out bills and uh, invoices and I'm kind of just like not as busy and I don't, I don't really like it. I don't like it at all. It kind of sucks. Super exciting to tell you people I know, but I'm just saying. <laughs> so, like, I, I've been, uh, I, I went swimming just now, and either I have, like, some weird growth on me, or those male um, lifeguards were just checking me out. It was a little unnerving. And it could be my third nipple. <laughs> I don't know. Were you wearing but it was kind of freaky. It was it was weird. It, I I felt like they were like looking at me like I was some like pedophile or something. They're like, we got to keep an eye on this one. Hey, uh -huh. the guy over there, don't keep take your eyes off. Like, there's other people that you should be watching to keep them from drowning, and they're watching me. A little offensive. I thought you were being really homophobic. I thought you were saying that they were t checking you out too much, like sexually. Like they were 
eating you with their eyes. But no, you mean like you felt like maybe profiled in a way. Yeah. As a pedophile. I, I was absolutely, I, well, I, it could have been the other one too. And I would like to think that it was the other one, but I do actually <laughs> think it was the fucking profile. I've been, I've been profiled. I've never been profiled before. You've, you've just been profiled, Adam. <laughs> now I know what every minority feels like. What yep. every unjust profiling feels like. It doesn't feel so good, does it, Adam? It doesn't. It really I bet you take, like to take back a lot of the profiling you've done over the years. I hope you learned your lesson, young man. I did. Stop. I mean, I did play with those three kids, but, it, you know, it wasn't. Yeah, maybe taking your wang out at the pool is... <laughs> One way to stop being profiled. And here's the thing, though. Like, you can't really blame me. I mean, I'm at a pool, and I have a wang. Why wouldn't I dig it out? That is a damn fine point. (laughs) This is America, right? You're an American. I have... My wang has rights. (laughs) It needs to be tan, too. Damn, people. (laughs) Yeah, no good times. So I, you know, so you know, just to say that I'm, I'm sort of that the in between phase that I referenced a couple of weeks ago, where I, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should start up more projects or if I should just take a break for a while. And it's, it's really, really worried to try. Like I can't sleep. Like I'm genuinely like thinking about past projects I just wrapped up, and it's getting me crazy. I think maybe. When's the last time you took a vacation? Uh, it's funny you should mention that. I just planned it. Um, it's going to be in two weeks. Oh, so. all right. It's been, it's been like eight months. Yeah, that's way so. too long. That's your problem. You need a vacation, yeah. man. You just need a vacation. Okay, I'll okay. do that. You're welcome. Um, so the wife and I were thinking and uh, just sort of talking about, you know, wrapping up the bills and me finishing these different jobs and what we're going to put the money to and stuff like that. And it made me think, like, I don't know how often people do this, but... It's really fucking nice to me. Like, so we, my, my daughter's in dance. And so before one of the recitals, we were just sort of sitting there reflecting on, oh, you know what? You know, my son just got out of school. And so next year, we're probably not going to be putting my daughter in daycare, which means tons of extra monthly money that's going to remain in our bank. And we're like, well, we could start paying off this and we could start paying off that. And <clears throat> I, it, it just sort of, I don't, I mention it because, I don't know how many people actively plan out their financial goals. I'm hoping everyone listening does. I think it's kind of essential. You should definitely have a savings account in some form or fashion that you don't ever fucking touch. But it's it's just one of those things that it's part of life. If you are managing your finances well, then you're you, you have these little moments of, of clarity. Like I I felt. <laughs> It's going to sound stupid and bragger, and I don't mean it to, to sound this way, but I felt really fucking good about where we were, you know, going into in that as soon as we get these things paid off and then suddenly we can start paying down these other things. And it, it I got this really good sense of, of safety and satisfaction about where our finances are. And I don't really think about money hardly ever. And so it's nice to be able to think about it and not worry, you know what I mean? Just just sort of feel like, yeah, no, this is go- we're going in a really great place. That's fantastic. I think <laughs> I feel like not a lot of people can say that. The fact that you can say that should give you some relief, <laughs> some sort of joy. And you should be no, proud. It, you should brag about that feeling. Tried, yeah. Yeah, it, it's really really nice. And and it's because you can you, you know, you, once you get in a pattern, no matter what your income is in a month, 
if you can find the that pattern of of living within it and then still putting some away it's just it takes the burden off even if you don't have a lot of disposable income you just you're just putting it away cuz you know that shit is going to hit the fan at some point and it's nice to know that you have a little bit of dipping dipping funds if you need to dip your wang into it sure sure it is mm-hmm. a tough uh, lesson to learn to live within your means you know it's a oh, hard yeah. lesson to learn and it sucks when you learn it the hard way um yeah just don't overspend you know, spend more than you make and you're gonna be doing okay it is a weird thing because it's it's so obvious. You right. think that everyone just knows, like, oh, well, I shouldn't probably spend more than I bring in. Um, we were looking at our, our bank statement because we have, like, a bunch of projects that we've been going through. Our input and output of funds in a month is really close. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, and that's including, like, money going into savings so that, you know, it doesn't matter where it's going. It's just going out of your checking. So it's really close. And we're like, wow, that you know, this, and this is what spurred the whole conversation. And, you know, we're just like, this is uh, a little bit worrisome, but we know that that trend is going to stop, and then we're going to suddenly have this other influx, influx over here, and it's, it's it's just really nice. And it reminds me of what uh, one of my college instructors said, and uh, he was, you know, we were having one of our art school discussions about uh, happiness, is what it was, and he was like, you know, the secret, which seems really fucking obvious, but no one knows to happiness is literally just living in your means. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you can live with whatever it is you bring in, and just be content with that, not not sort of look over the hedge at your neighbor and and envy them for whatever shit, whatever material crap they have. If you can just be content within yourself, that that is the secret to happiness. And as a Satanist, I take that and say, well, you know, if if I can set my goals and I can meet my goals while, you know, and obviously always setting new ones once I've met one, and through that live within my means, then I, I have just achieved personal happiness. And that sounds really stupid and new agey, but it's it's a wonderful feeling not having to fucking worry about shit. Yeah, that's, you're living the American dream. You've made it. That's what everybody <laughs> exactly. hopes for. <laughs> yeah, so I, I should probably like sign up for like eight more credit cards and just max them out just immediately. Just go to town and fucking all the hell. Because <laughs> I think that's the real American way. <laughs> all right. I don't know. I, I don't even know why I wanted to bring that up. I just, you know, it's it's something that I get a lot of people that that write in and just say, oh, you know, I listened to your last show. I just want to say I really appreciate it. Or, uh, you know, whatever derogatory thing they want to throw out at me. <laughs> Stop being a homophobe! You know, whatever it is. Um, I didn't get one racial comment about last week's episode. No? Like, no one was like, you can't say that word, Whitey. All right. Not one person. That's I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it, but... No, but I've, uh, I've heard talk of it. I'm surprised you haven't heard anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess people just don't care enough. Let's see if we can offend people in this episode. Oh, I'm pretty sure if I was really trying, I could offend all of your listeners. (laughs) 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 Not just all. Let's do it, man. Let's offend everyone, and let's start with uh, the devil's advocate. Let's do it. Next. In nomine nostris, Thomas Luciferus. I'm an active member. I do not speak for the church of Satan. All right. So the first satanic statement, Aaron, can you inform? 
inform the fine listeners out there what this is? Well, if I remember correctly, it's that Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. Mm-hmm. Well, As you said that, I took a sip of my home-brewed IPA. <laughs> Indulge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the reason why I'm, I'm going a little old school and a little fundamental here is because we haven't done it in a while. I've gotten a lot of letters lately, and, and so I've been addressing those, and then we've been doing some other things, uh, movies or, or just you know talking about articles and stuff like that. So it's, it's nice to kind of go back to the core of what this podcast is really about, dare Satanism. And the first Satanic statement in the list of the nine Satanic statements, which is the, you know, it's right there at the front of the Satanic Bible, this is what it means to be a Satanist. And these are things that, you know, no one's going to quiz you on, but they are things that you should have at the tip of your tongue if someone asks you, what is Satanism? Well, this is a pretty good fucking rundown if you just run down these nine uh, statements of, of what it is. And this first one here is the first, I believe, for a reason. And it's it's interesting because it's, in my opinion, not the most uh, on the nose of all of the nine satanic statements. It there There is a little bit of... Uh, well, let, let me explain it this way. When, traditionally, when people first start discovering Satanism, I think a lot of people come from already having read a little bit of Crowley or having some idea about the uh, do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law statement. And I think that gets confused with this indulgence instead of abstinence, where they just sort of carry that idea over. And what I think is really great is that, you know, these satanic statements sort of play off of each other in a lot of really wonderful ways. Um, responsibility, for example, comes and creeps its way into this first satanic statement pretty heavily. And so when, you, when you're thinking about, you know, indulgence instead of abstinence, obviously on the nose, you're just like, oh, well, uh, it's just hedonistic, uh, taking everything in at any time for, you know, doing whatever you want, whenever you want, and, and taking it all in and, and not caring about anything else. And I, I really don't think that that's what it's saying. I don't, I don't think that's what it means. Um, underneath everything in Satanism is this uh, expectation of an adult level of understanding, which means responsibility and uh, a little bit of uh, individual conservatism. So I didn't even say that right. <laughs> Conservative is also that's much writer. Yes. Okay. Much oh. Oh, so, close. <laughs> so you have to be able to say okay. Well, and this is actually this is a, here's here's a good example of this. So I like to drink. I, I actually really enjoy drinking. I, I like the feeling of a buzz when I drink, and I like drinking what I make, and it makes me feel good. Uh, gives me a little randy, like right now. Ooh, hello, microphone. Hey. It's just so big in my face. Uh, you know, I dig it. That but take long. <laughs> going right into it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, responsibility, I, I can't just be fucking sloshed all day every day I have to function as a human being and so and I know what my limits are and so when I indulge instead of abstain I indulge responsibly I drink my limit based on what I have to do during the day and then you know obviously I'm constantly keeping an eye out for um, 
behavioral emotional change because my family's prone to alcoholism and so you know I'm, I'm constantly being crazy careful about it while I'm enjoying it so rather than saying it's just safer for me not to indulge uh, I'm, I'm just gonna go into it with open eyes and you know toe the fucking line and still enjoy what I love to do and that's make and consume alcohol whether it's wine or beer do you have any examples of, of situations, um, Aaron, where you just love to indulge, but you have to balance out oh, life? Do I have one example? Pretty much everything <laughs> in the world is my, my addiction. I do. I have a problem. Um, not a problem. I control it. But I am very... You have a problem. Um, I have a problem. Okay. I didn't know this was an intervention. <laughs> we just need to have a talk about this. I, was, I would never have come had I known. <laughs> <laughs> they try to make me go to rehab. No. <laughs> All right. Um, how dare you make me do Amy Winehouse impersonation? <laughs> well, I'm trying to be very honest and open with you. No. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Everything is sort of a fair game for me to get um, addicted to. I think I have a very well. I I'm very careful because. I come from a family, as you do, of uh, alcoholism on one side and then just a whole slew of other like um, personality disorders on the other side. So there's obsessive compulsive and things like that. And uh, my mother could get addicted to anything. And I saw this firsthand. She would get addicted to just about anything she could think of. <laughs> she was Whoa. a very um, quirky individual. So I know that. And sometimes I see that. Like I can see... I am just like a cunt hair away from <laughs> just tripping over the line of like being in control. You know, I don't One cunt hair over the line. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> um, so I'm very aware of that. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not on any medication and I don't, um, you know, I don't currently fight these demons on a daily basis, but I know that I feel that I'm just this close to being that easily um, a compulsive person. Yeah. Um, but I'm not currently. Um, but yeah, I mean, food, booze, I have to be careful of all of these things. I have to regulate just about everything in my life because I, I just get easily carried away into things. Um, yeah. I've never, you know, it's never been a problem. Like I've never had a heroin problem or a alcohol problem. I've never had a problem yet, except with food. I definitely have food problems. But, um, you know, I try to, you know, and that a part of the reason that Satanism appealed to me so much was that it spoke to me, you know, it, it reasoned with me and said, hey, Aaron, here's a thing you can, you know, indulge in things. But it's, the problem is when that indulgence becomes a compulsion and, mm -hmm. you know, when this, any compulsion toward, you know, addiction or just a compulsion to do, you know, stupid things or anything like that. So, uh. You know, d the idea of delaying gratification, which I think is a definite uh, big part of the, that first statement, is, uh, you know, knowing when to, oh God, <laughs> I almost did a second Kenny Rogers um, impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did one last. So, yeah. All right, I'm not going to do it. But you, you have to know, uh, you know, when to hold out for something and knowing <laughs> that, just shut up. When to fold just out. Stop out. <laughs> stop that right now. You're such a bad influence on me. Um. Yeah, you know, the brownie will be so much better if you don't, like, just <laughs> inhale it in the first opportunity you get, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or waiting to yeah. have sex with someone that you really want to have sex with. It's the, that's the, the most fun thing ever, is not indulging. 
That's actually a really, really good point too. If if you go into things with your eyes open and you you moderate your your um, indulgence, there there is a significant amount of satisfaction in the anticipation mm-hmm. of that event, whatever it is. It could be a roller coaster or you know a nap for fuck's sake. It could be anything, but whatever it is, it's 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 knowing that it's coming and just savoring. That, that moment just waiting before it hits you. And then when you do actually do whatever it is, it's that much better. And you can actually enjoy it while you're doing it rather than just being, uh, you know, blind hedonist and just taking it all in. Um, Epicurean, taking your time and enjoying these things that, that make us. And, and then there's the other way of looking at this first statement is that it's, it's a declaration that this religion, this philosophy is just immediately different than every other religion because every other religion in some way says withhold do not do this don't indulge that is bad and we are saying the very first fucking thing right out the gate what is satanism it is indulgence we are not one of those ridiculous religions that says deny who and what you are or what you want we say no take it if you want it take it Bounds of reason, laws of the land, bruh. but just consume and take. And you know, you, there's always that one person that's just like, he said, take it. So you know, <laughs> I'm going to the bank. I'm going to make a withdrawal. Um, j- you know, <laughs> it's it's infuriating that you have to do stuff like that. Like clarify, because <laughs> fucking people are dumb. We don't have to um, do that. Fuck that. You're better than that, Adam. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. Uh, no, but so. Right out the gate, we are not like everyone else on the block. We are dramatically different. We say it is okay that you have these compulsions. And if you look back, and talking, speaking sexually here, Satanism was like one of the first philosophies or religions that was okay with homosexuality, with the trans world, because they recognized that it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's it's the individual. That's what's important. And if that's what they desire, then step the fuck out the way and let them fucking indulge. That and we like to like nowadays. It's so easy to think, oh well, you know, like every other religion, even some Christian religions, thinks it's okay. That was fucking crazy back then to be like that. To say this is an organization, this is a religion, and we don't care what your sexual proclivities are, as long as they are legal. That that was groundbreaking. Yeah. I, I mean, we're going to touch a little bit about on that idea a little bit further in uh, the second article in the Invernal Informant, but mm. I mean, just to 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 play on that, it's 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 an incredibly powerful statement that touches on so many aspects of uh, comparing and contrasting with other religions, with ever having to outrightly state that, just saying. Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. And there is so much contained in that one little phrase. So powerful and so clarifying for anyone stepping into this religion or reading about it for the first time. Uh, Really wonderful. Do you think, Aaron, that, and and just, you know, sort of conjecture here, do you think that there's any other statement that, that would fit really well with the first, being the first satanic statement in uh, in this list, that to clarify, to distill what Satanism is in just one phrase. Better than this first one? Yeah, yeah. Just, what do you think? 
I don't know. I don't think you can do better than that. I mean, the, the second one right after this great follow up to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to, what I would like to do is sort of hit on these every once in a while. Just not really so much as a refresher, but as um, uh, just by way of, of exploring them a little bit more, these statements. I think it'll be a little bit of fun to break up the show, and maybe we can shine a little bit of light on some uh, not-so-popular ones down the road as well. <laughs> I have a but, favorite uh, one. Ooh, really? Yeah. What's your favorite? Um... Uh, the fourth one, I think, is Satan represents kindness to those who deserve it. I love wasting on ingrates. Yeah. Because fuck a bunch a of ingrates, one. man. <laughs> was, yes. Wait, are you talking about me? Yeah. Well, wow, you have a guilty conscience, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> are you an ingrate, Adam? Uh, I had no idea. <laughs> well, I'm going to save that one for you then, and we will talk about it together. Sweet. Yay. All right. Uh, is, are you good? Should we do Infernal Informant? I'm so good. All right, let's do it. What's going on with Uh, Infernal Informant. Alright, this is from Boston.com, is that right? From the AP. <laughs> Alright, so everybody's favorite, Sergeant Bo Bergdahl. He's told, uh, pe he told people treating him at a U.S. military medical facility in Germany that he was tortured, beaten, and held in a cage by his Taliban captors in Afghanistan after he tried to escape. A senior U.S. official said Sunday, the official spoke on condition of anonymity because he was not authorized to discuss what Bergdahl had revealed. The official said it was difficult to verify the accounts Bergdahl had given since his release a week ago. Bergdahl, now 28, was captured in June 2009 after he disappeared from his infantry unit. He was held for nearly five years by Taliban militants. The New York Times reported Sunday that military doctors at the Langsdell Regional Medical Center say that while Bergdahl is physically able to travel, he's not yet emotionally prepared to be reunited with his family. He has spoken to his family. I'm sorry, he has not yet spoken to his family. Bergdahl was returned to the U.S. military in exchange for the release of five Taliban militants from the U.S. military prison in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. The deal, which the Obama White House brokered without consulting Congress, ignited a political firestorm that shows no sign of abating. Lawmakers, both Republicans and Democrats, who initially praised Bergdahl's release, quickly backed off amid questions about whether he was a deserter who walked away from his post and an outcry over the exchange. Some of Bergdahl, uh, Bergdahl's fellow soldiers maintained that Americans died during efforts to save and find, find and save him. On Wednesday, Bergdahl's hometown of Haley, Idaho, abruptly canceled plans for a welcome home celebration, citing security concerns. And on Saturday, the FBI said Bergdahl's family had received threats that are being investigated by federal, state, and local authorities. The U.S. official told the AP that Bergdahl's parents were being harassed and threatened, including death threats. Good times. Yeah, man. <laughs> so to, to sum this up, um, there was a, a private Bergdahl who decided he was finished with the Afghan war and leaving his body armor and his weapon walks off into the desert is quickly captured by the Taliban um, and held captive and now he says that they have tortured him and beat him and kept him in a cage but I kind of feel like that's yeah it's kind of everyone who gets captured is like that it's, yeah. not, it's nothing special to him <laughs> um, I mean I've seen Homeland so you know mm. I, I know the truth 
<laughs> I know how it happens. He's going to come back and he's going to try to blow up the CIA building or something. Um, okay, so the ultimate question. I'm sure everyone has heard about this over and over again. So uh, conservatives traditionally um, have been screaming, shouting at this guy. We have to save Bergdahl. We have a POW over there. Why haven't we gotten him? Why haven't we done anything? Um, he's being held prisoner. And then when Obama uh, cuts a deal and releases five Taliban um, uh, captives from Guantanamo as trade, they freak the fuck out and say, Obama, how could you possibly have helped Bergdahl? He's a traitor. So it's funny how quickly people turn yeah, it is. <laughs> on it. Um, but I, I'm, I'm a little curious about what you think, Aaron, about whether or not. So he is a private. And the reason why he's a sergeant, mm -hmm. it, for people who don't know, is if, if you're in being held captive and you are being held captive long enough to have reached a different rank, then you're granted that rank just because you, you know, air quotes, you've still been enlisted in the military and you would have been that rank at that time anyway so they kind of don't just want to shit on you after having been captive for so long say hey you're still private he kind of did his time so he's, he's a sergeant so um he abandoned his post uh which is um punishable under the uniform code of military justice uh but he did five years being oh, a captain so here's uh -huh. here's my question yeah do you think that he should be treated um, like a good soldier by his country, or do you think he should be tried as a traitor? I think he should be court-martialed. I think he should definitely be brought in front of, um, you know, the court-martial, and uh, you know, he has some explaining to do. <laughs> it's, some explaining. You got some explaining to do, son. He <laughs> uh, deserted his post, I mean, by all accounts, until uh, you know, I guess there's nothing definite because we haven't heard any word from him really about the situation. But I saw an interview or I, I heard somewhere, I think it was an interview with some of his um, other platoon members. And they basically said, this guy is not a hero. He was a deserter. He, he didn't uh, want to be there anymore. And he left and he went out seeking Taliban. He was looking for someone who spoke English so that he could talk to the Taliban. And I don't know what that means. I don't know why he wanted to talk to him. I don't know if he wanted to join the Taliban. I mean, these things are clear, but they've definitely been speculated. Like, I didn't just make that up. People were mm -hmm. wondering if he was, you know, trying to, um, yeah, just join the Taliban. I don't know if how true that is. But, but he definitely has some explaining to do, and he definitely needs to be brought in front of court. I mean, whether or not... Um, you know, he's found guilty or whether he has to serve any time or whatever his punishment might be. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the facts, but I do think he needs to be brought in front of some um, panel of people who can tell us, you know, and can, you know, look at classified information and come up with a pretty solid story about what happened. I mean, what could his excuses be? What was he thinking? Just yeah, leaving all his shit behind and, and walking out into the desert of Afghanistan. I mean, I think that kind of tells us what he was thinking. I would like, think so, He's yeah. done. You know, he's wipe, fucking wiping his hands, and he's off, and he's done. He just doesn't want to deal with it. So, obviously, being in a combat zone, um, not every human being can handle that. Right. Um, it fucks with you. We have, we have soldiers that served honorably that have come home and started experiencing the problems, shell shock of, of you know, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. It, they just don't know how to behave anymore. So 
being in a, a combat military unit, it messes with the human condition. And so it's not absurd in my mind for someone to be in um, that environment and just not be able to handle it and just must leave, you know? I had a soldier who was a conscientious objector, which is always really fun to deal with because he was this fucking spitfire of a Puerto Rican dude who just wanted to punch everyone in the fucking kidney until he had to go off to fucking defend his country. And he was like, oh, no, I don't, I'm, I like peace and <laughs> I don't want to shoot you. It really just comes down to that they don't want to get killed. You know, sure. that's really what it comes down to. It's cowardice. Yeah. So, you know, obviously until he discloses his own reasons he he gave up and he said i don't i don't want to fucking deal with this anymore and i'm gonna walk out and whether he was trying to find taliban or whether he was trying to find a fucking bus stop i don't know yeah <laughs> maybe he was just trying to find an airport to get out yeah um a fucking ice cream stand he might have just he might have, he might not have been in his right mind i mean we yeah. you know we have to keep that into account which is my point of bringing all this up so um but I agree with you. Mm -hmm. He need the the military has laws in place for situations like this, and he needs to be brought to a court martial so that he can be uh, tried. And whether or not they say he served his his time for abandoning his post is up to that court martial. But here here's one here's something that really kind of bothers me. Um, if if a woman accuses uh, her superior of raping her in the military, the military is like, uh, let's not, let's just sort of sweep this under the rug. We don't want to deal with this. Uh, you know, just you're gonna ruin some careers. Um, a dude abandons his post, and he's like, fucking, I don't. He's like immediately treated as a hero. Oh, you were captured, and mm -hmm. now you're not captured. You're a hero. You survived. I've never understood this, and this is a platform that fucking McCain ran on yeah. and continues, in my yeah. opinion, to run off of. Is I'm a survivor. I was captured. You failed. Like yeah. you're not supposed to be captured <laughs> and suffer through it. That that's literally you failing at being a soldier. So don't don't act like you're a hero because you failed. Mm -hmm. You're you're the opposite. You suck. Yeah. And okay, it's great that you survived and and you may, you know, behave honorably while in captivity, but you still fucking failed. Like I don't I don't see why we should champion that. We we shouldn't herald that as, "Oh, congratulations, hooray." Now, for this guy, if I was his parents, of course, of course, I would want him brought home and I would want to do a parade. I would want to do everything because he's my son. But we have to sort of distance ourselves emotionally and say not every soldier, and this is kind of hard for me because I like to champion the military, but not every soldier is good. Yeah. And we do some really stupid shit sometimes. And we have to be, I mean, soldiers are fucking raping other soldiers. It's not okay. Mm -hmm. Soldiers are killing civilians. It's not okay. Soldiers are doing horrible things and they need to be, we can't just stand behind the American flag and say, they're soldiers, hip, hip, hooray, you know, they, they can do no wrong, they're all heroes. No, mm. I know for fucking fact that a lot of soldiers are pieces of fucking shit and they don't deserve to even be called soldiers. They actually d bring down what it means to be a soldier because they're such fucking worthless human beings. <laughs> I know a lot of fucking leaders in the military that are worthless fucking human beings. It, it you, the military is a simple way of life. You literally do what you're told, you follow rules, and you can become a leader. 
It doesn't mean you're going to be a good leader, and it doesn't mean you're going to do the right thing. So we can't just have this blanket statement of, oh, he's a soldier, he's a hero. No, he could very well be a horrible fucking human being. Like, he might have gone into the military a wonderful human, productive member of society. But the military is not for everyone, and it fucks with you. You have to be able to deal with some serious shit. And then compounding wartime, it's a whole nother ballpark. So it's easy for civilians on this side of the fucking fence to say, oh, well, you know, if I was there, I wouldn't have had any problem. No, you don't know that. You could emotionally break down and have walked into the fucking desert like this dude. And so obviously once he starts talking, once we figure out why, I'm not entirely sure it really matters that much, but once we start figuring out why, then let the military do its fucking job and try him the way that they need to and come to whatever. But it, it drives me nuts when we have civilians or elected leaders trying to pass judgment when it's not their fucking place. Like, what the fuck? I, I just don't understand it. And then from what, and really, it's the, it's the fucking 180 here of, we need to save this guy. We know he's out there. They've reached out to save him. And as soon as he does, <laughs> why did you save this traitor? You gave up five Taliban members. <laughs> I mean, we got to remember that the Taliban didn't actually attack us right. on 9-11. Right. They're <laughs> trying to defend Afghanistan from us, even though, you know, they're the fundamentalists that, you know, we're trying to liberate Afghanistan because we're awesome by trying to do that i guess, I guess. um uh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why they're fighting us they're not right. fighting us because they attacked us they didn't they're not fighting us because down with america i mean they right. may be saying that now because yeah. we fucking invaded their homeland but um so i you know it's it to me it doesn't matter whether or not we gave away five guantanamo guantanamo prisoners if those five prisoners had a fucking actual rap sheet that they could be tried and hung on over, over they would have done it by now yeah yeah. Like, do we not take into account the part where we just hold soldiers indefinitely, military combatants, even if they're not military combatants, but if they were picked up and we said that they were, and they're just fucking happened to be walking by for a falafel, <laughs> we said, hey, hey you, you got brown skin and a beard, you're a fucking combatant. Get into Guantanamo, yo. <laughs> It's just fucking ridiculous. We like to always pretend like, oh, America's the good people. America does the good fight. No, they don't always. always. We do some really horrible fucking things. No matter what administration, we do some horrible fucking things. And to just say that because we gave up five... And, and now here, okay, so here's here's my question to you. I'm, I'm ranting and raving. I'm trying to bring it back to sense here. Good luck. Um, so one of the arguments is... <laughs> thanks. <laughs> one of the arguments is that um, one person is not worth five. So in your opinion, is one U.S. soldier worth five Taliban potential combatants? Well, um, that is a loaded question. But there's also the, the idea that there's these six dead soldiers, too, that um, a lot of people are saying are as a result of going on out searching for this guy. When, he, when they went to his pup tent one morning and he wasn't there, they didn't just go, oh, fuck. We lost one. Yeah. You know, they oh, that crazy Bergdahl. He's gone again. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they send people out to look for him because they think, oh, fuck, he's missing. Somebody maybe took him. What could happen? So people went out there, and, and by some accounts, six soldiers are dead because they were out looking for him. And then that's another math equation that we could talk about, you know. But, um, it's a you know, that whole one American for five Taliban, I don't know. I don't know who these Taliban are. I don't know what their crimes are. Um <clears throat> You know, one thing that's for sure is that 
I don't believe that all life is sacred, you know? So I Mm -hmm. don't think that um, we had to, you know, that this man had to be saved necessarily. Um, He's, you know, not all soldiers are good and not all people are worthwhile. (laughs) You know, maybe he, you know, it's like I said, there's the six lives lost that were in search of this one man who put everyone in danger Mm. because of his, you know, behavior the five taliban i have no idea i don't care you know they could have all the people in guantanamo bay if they're dangerous then you know on, they wouldn't and, be and in that's guantanamo that's sort of bay, the like thing is said. yeah if if they really had something on them that they could right like try them for they would have done it already yeah and that's actually the big argument for why people think that they should close guantanamo and release all those and actually a lot of those soldiers i'm sorry combatants in Guantanamo are slated for release and just they haven't gone through the paperwork yet. Yeah. So it's, I mean, they're just on indefinite hold even though they're set up for release. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I don't really care about the Taliban. I don't know, uh, you know, weighing one life versus another I think has a lot to do with uh, productivity and, sure. um, you know, contribution to the greater society that you're living in. Uh, in this particular case, I... I think we should go off of what he did himself, the statement he made, and he may not have been in his right mind. He may be have been suffering from some mental disorder, but the fact is he walked off, so he should be tried in a military court and let that speak for itself and be contained within it. Um, soldiers dying in line of duty, like this to address the six that you're talking sure. about, um, that's that's the reality of war. Sure. I mean, no matter what, whether it was f- looking for him or them in the next day going on their next movement, yeah. or performing security, you're in. You're a soldier. You're you're targeted for death, and that's a reality that you have to face. So I'm not so concerned about that. That's a really um, good point, actually. Yeah, it, it's a price that, as a soldier, you have to pay is the possibility of death, and in uh, being by actively swearing an oath yeah. to serve, you know that. That is a possibility. So I, I just can't rationalize the. Well, it's not fair that six soldiers. Sure. Well, you know what? They gave their life for this. They knew what they were getting into. It's unfortunate, but some some fucking people get suffered. You know, get killed from friendly fire. So which would you rather do it by looking for a a friend or having a friend shoot you? Either I mean, way, you're you know, dead. So it doesn't. Yeah, matter. it doesn't really fucking matter. But again, I also agree wholeheartedly with what you said. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is worth fucking saving. You know, I talk about this a lot. People are born with innate capacity, and whatever they do in life dictates their worth. Yeah. And you can only judge a man or woman based on their actions. And if your actions are you fucking left your post that you swore to defend to the end, well, I I don't fucking care about you. Like, it doesn't matter to me. I would not have traded anyone. Now, honestly, and it, it really is this thin for me, and I won't go on much longer. I'm just quickly ending it here. Um, if he would have been captured, whole different story. Oh, in sure. My p- Absolutely. Yeah. So, But the fact that he walked off, man, that, that tells it. He Changes needs to be everything. tried. That is a fucking offense that in wartime can be punished by death. Yeah. And... It's just fucking something that you know going in. It's not a surprise. It's not like, oh, here's the fine print. Right. You fucking know it. So, you know what? You, you abandon your post. You literally fucking basically just defected. And now now you're going to try to, I don't know, be a hero. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I get it. But you know what? To the fucking people who are threatening his family, 
Yeah. Get a fucking life. <laughs> like they're just you would do the exact same thing in their in their position. They want to bring their son home. Of so yeah. shut the fuck up. Yeah. Man, just don't be dumb. I mean, the Unless, the only worth that this guy has is to his family. You know, you can't begrudge them wanting to have their son home. Yeah. And, you and who have, knows, you know? I mean, yeah. he may come home and create a better butt wipe. I don't know. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It would. Yeah. <laughs> we need innovation there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do this next one here. This is from CNN US, Texas Republicans' favorite reparative therapy platform for gays. And this is by Azadeh Ansari and Suzanne Presto. Ooh, one more. And Vivian Kuo. CNN. Texas Republicans have adopted a party platform that includes support for voluntary psychological therapy targeted at converting homosexuals to heterosexuals. Almost 10,000 attendees gathered in Fort Worth at the annual Texas GOP convention to vote on a platform ahead of the 2016 race for the White House. Supporters of conversional reparative therapy believe the treatment is effective in turning gays straight. California and New Jersey have banned the treatment for minors. Texas Republican measure states that we recognize the legitimacy and efficacy of counseling, which offers reparative therapy and treatment for those patients seeking healing and wholeness for their homosexual lifestyle. No laws or executive orders shall be imposed to limit or restrict access to this type of therapy. Spearheading the endorsement is Kathleen Adams, president of the conservative Texas Eagle Forum. She stressed that the measure calls for allowing people to choose the treatment. Nothing is mandatory, Adams wrote in an email to CNN on Saturday. If a person chooses counseling, then it should be made available. California and New Jersey have passed bills outlawing it altogether, which is under litigation. It's a freedom issue. But an array of professional organizations oppose gay conversion therapy. Such groups include the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association and the American Psychological Association. Uh, the most important fact about these therapies is that they are based on a view of homosexuality that has been rejected by all the major mental health professions, says the APA, the nation's largest scientific and professional organization representing psychology. To date, there's been no scientifically adequate research to show that therapy aimed at changing sexual orientation is safe or effective. Adams told CNN in a phone interview she introduced uh, to reparative treatment by a constituent in her precinct who claimed he was a gay man who is now straight because of such treatment. All right, so we don't have to go on. It's, it's actually almost over here, but I'll finish it up here by quoting Adams. I do not think homosexuals are born as homosexuals. So um, here's an interesting thought, okay? So believing whatever you believe, um, do you think that if you as an individual want treatment in this manner to be changed that you should be able to find treatment uh, no <laughs> this shit shouldn't even fucking exist <laughs> there's no reason for it the only reason that any homosexual would want to become a heterosexual is because people make them feel like they have to <laughs> you know and by people i mean religion you know mm -hmm. These religions are the only reason that any... I mean, who, what the fuck do they care? They're homosexual. They want to fuck people of the same sex as them and love people of the same sex as them. Um, they probably don't want to change. The only reason they ever would think about changing is because people have told them it's sinful and it's wrong and they're disgusting and they God hates them. I mean, no, these people shouldn't, this shouldn't exist. <laughs> Not, never mind be accessible to people. This shouldn't exist. These people should be run out of town 
on a rail. They're fucking demons. <laughs> this is rough for me because I, on one hand, I, I completely agree with, with your argument. And on the other hand, it, it's, it's like drugs for me. So if someone wants to ruin their life and shoot heroin, I think it should be legal. And I think they should be able to do that. And they should be able to kill themselves because I don't, I don't need them here. I don't care. It's none of my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think drug, all, literally all drugs should be legal and taxed. And if you're stupid enough to kill yourself with them, well, then that's your fucking business. I don't care. And in that light, if you are such a fucking worthless human being that you are buying the bullshit that's being shoveled to you, that your natural way of being is not okay, and you want to try to go through a therapy that is proven not to be effective and not even real, <laughs> then I, why the fuck? I don't care. Do it. I think it should be available. I think people should feed off of each other. And if they're going to kill themselves in the process, then fuck them. I don't, I don't want them here anyway. Thing is, is just because, and this is, you know, sort of playing off that soldier thing. And I think largely as a, I'm going to get a lot of shit for saying this. Largely as a society, we like to champion the latest thing. I think um, homosexuality uh, is is really seen as one of the latest things. And we like to say, oh, well, if you're uh, a homosexual, if you're gay, then I'm behind you 100%. I know nothing else about you as a human being. All I know is that you like to either eat pussy as a woman or suck dick as a man, and I am behind you because that is your right and you were born that way. I, I don't think that makes you special. I don't, I don't think that means that I should, just because you are attracted to one sex or another makes you special. So I'm sorry, but I, I don't fucking care. I'm not going to stand behind your cause. I think you should just be a productive human being and stand on your own two feet and not use your sexuality as a basis for uh, being labeled as such you know I, I don't walk around saying i'm a he- I'm, I'm, I'm a heterosexual man well because no. oh okay because that's because you don't have to because people assume that you are uh i, I think that actually i was called out as gay <laughs> well remember the spa thing yeah oh, yeah that's right <laughs> that's right sorry but no um you know it's a basic human rights issue they're not asking for special treatment they're asking for equal rights i mean this is a totally different thing we're talking about now this is you know the the this conversion therapy, whatever the fuck it is, this is a different argument as to it than like basic human rights. These people should be allowed to marry just like other human beings should. They marry whoever they want. Um, you know, the fact that California and New Jersey is banned it for um, minors, I think is, I mean, we can all agree that that's right, right? Yeah, okay. any minors, right. absolutely. Yeah, okay, well, that's good because... Um, just consenting adults is what I'm talking about. But yeah, but the... the it's been proven that these things are not effective. Um, you know, and in fact, they're not just not effective. They pose critical health risks, you know, suicide, depression, substance abuse, antisocial behavior. Um, it's just like asking, you know, it's kind of like homeotherapy. You know, what's the harm? Well, the harm is that these people um, are being told that they're being cured, but they're not. So they're not actually seeking treatment that would work. And this sort of thing, they're, these people are actually being harmed by going to these fucking therapy sessions. And the only well, the, I mean, reason that they go to these is because religion has told them that they're, they have to they have to be heterosexual and because homosexuality is wrong. And I actually, I probably think that, you know, 99% of all cases that want to 
change are because of external influences. But just in, in, in the way that you see people who behave naturally and they have a, a sense of um, how do I how do I fucking put this? I think that there has to be a segment of homosexuals who would want this therapy, not because externally, but because of internally. And it could be because of a deficiency in the way they think, for whatever reason. But if if you're a consenting adult and you know that if you're informed and educated, not ignorant to the reality of this, and you still think because for whatever reason you don't want to be homosexual anymore, then you should be able to get whatever fucking... It's like, okay, so if, if I didn't want to be heterosexual anymore, oh, I really just want to fucking want to suck dick. I just want to be gay. I, I want... That would never happen. There's no reason that would happen. There's See, no... I just don't think it's black and white like that. I think that there are a lot of different mental conditions, and I think that one could very well be hating your sexuality. And there, there are people who literally want to be amputees. They have a perfectly fucking working leg or arm, but they want to their core okay. to be amputees. Yes, and they will, they try to do it. So how is this different where a, a you pathology. want to be? <laughs> that's a pathological. Right, but that's pathological. That's not. But who's to say that a, a, a homosexual man who just or woman who really wants to be heterosexual is not that exact same condition? Well, then they have a site. Like, they haven't. They have a problem a mental issue that they need to seek help for it's not it's it's not going to you can't fe- um treat the symptoms of it uh, the, the symptom is that he wants to change from homosexual to heterosexual but the pr- the real illness is a mental illness that needs to be addressed so you wouldn't treat you know that symptom by go- having them go to conversion therapy because that's not going to cure this person from their mental illness it's something much bigger than wanting to be a heterosexual then they have some sort of dysmorphic condition and they need to be treated for that not for the like some homo you know being a homosexual that's that's a symptom then if if we're going by your example um look it doesn't matter these things can exist i'm not saying ban them all um necessarily you know if if private institutions want to create this but if you're getting um support from the government then that that's a problem oh yes you know but but banning like a, a you know private institution you know, I, I, of course, I'm not for that. Right on. And what do you think about this being like a, a, a core um, oh, platform uh-huh. uh, for Texas Republicans? I mean, like, if you were going to pick a group, you know, if someone said, <laughs> OK, I've got this group and their plat- their party platform is, you know, voluntary psychological therapy to cure homosexuality. I'd be like, wait, let me guess. They're Republicans. Let me think. Um, Texas, Florida, Florida, Texas, Texas. Yeah, Texas it would be a toss-up between. You know, the two. I mean, come on, guys, you should try a little harder. You're a fucking. It is. Day. It's amazing that nowadays that, like, you know, as an individual, I don't care if that's what you think, but if that's your platform as a group and you're doing badly yeah. on the national stage already, you're gonna fucking double down yeah. and just be like, you know what? We really fucking hate the gays so much. We are going to stand behind reparative therapy yeah. <laughs> as a platform. What the fuck? That is insane. Like, think whatever you want to think, but not as a fucking platform. Oh, yeah. Fucking I mean, just shooting yourselves like in the <laughs> foot. I mean, it does say it includes support for voluntary. Sci- it's not, I guess, I, I, 
I'd hate to mischaracterize this as, as them. This is their one sole issue. They probably, oh, I mean, I would right, hope right, they have right, others, right, right. but it's part of their platform. So let's not yeah. paint them too, too badly, but, but still they're fucking <laughs> bonkers bananas. Yeah, they're doing a pretty good job. Yeah. yeah, I just, I saw this article and I, <laughs> my, my mouth just dropped open. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's torture. I, I bet they, they just don't want to win a national election. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's insane. All right. Um, well, I, th- I think that's gonna do it for the infernal informant. Are you good? I'm good. Let's do a little down the crossroads. Ew. All right, there you will. Sure, you won't stay out in this blackout. Sure is dark tonight. Thank you for the ride, sir. I think I'll be fine. See yourself. What are you doing out here? Oh, I'm, I'm headed down to the crossroads. <laughs> Wait, miss. You can't be. You're the, you're the devil. devil. But you're, you're beautiful. beautiful. Just sign here. Oh my God. Welcome to Death Crossroads. I need a jingle. I need a like a just a little. What do they call that? Interstitial, sort of. We, well, we, I mean, you have No, your... I know, but I mean, another one that I play. <laughs> or mm. that I sing. I just want to sing. That's all. That's all. What, what about a <laughs> chink-a-chick-choo-choo? Yeah. Welcome to... <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Get on top of that. I'm down to the crossroads. Okay. <laughs> okay, so here we go. So this, this week's theme is tapped out, and that is... Um, now, Adam, let me ask you: Do you play video games? Honestly, I I don't. I, I didn't play I, different I, one. This is gonna sound weird. I want to. Right. I I just don't. I I feel like I'm wasting time when I do. Yeah. Like, honestly, it just comes down to me feeling like I'm wasting time. Yeah. I uh don't. I used to play video games a lot. Not a lot. I can't say I was never like a gamer. You never seen. But I used to play Goldeneye. It was one of my favorites. But anyway. Um, oh my gosh! I, yeah, I had buddies who like. Fucking, they were compulsive with that. I was obsessed. And if I still even hear like, I still get that rush of emotions. Like, oh my God. All right, don't get me started on that. This is something else. So anyway, I don't normally play video games because they are, because that's how I get. Because I have, uh, as we touched on earlier, like addictive Mm -hmm. personality problems. So, and I know that if I play video games, I get really into them and then I lose all track of life. So since I've been an adult, I really don't play video games. But recently, I got a video game for my phone and it is called Simpsons Tapped Out. And it is a a Simpsons-based game. Uh, Do you like The Simpsons, Adam? Are you a fan? Eh. Oh my God. They're okay. I'm not obsessive. I I don't hate them. I'm kind of indifferent. I'll watch it if it's on, but it's eh. That's weird. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. I've heard a lot of opinions about The Simpsons, but not, um, eh. All right. Well, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> I happen to like The Simpsons a lot. Grew up watching them. My fiance, Josh, as everyone um, knows, we can talk about him all the time. He's a huge Simpsons fan. I'm sorry. I, what's his name? Yosh? Yoshi. Hmm. Yes. Um, Is he Japanese? He's Persian. Oh. Yes. Um, <laughs> he's a big, so we started playing this game. It's like, um. 
it's sort of like SimCity, but the Simpsons. So you basically build Springfield. There was a nuclear explosion and all of Springfield is obliterated. So you have to rebuild it. And so it has, I've been on um, summer vacation um, for the last two weeks. I had two weeks off from school. Uh, I thought we were doing down at Crossroads. Uh, so anyway, my, my theme is, is um, the Simpsons <laughs> tapped out video game. <laughs> because that's literally all I've been doing with my free time for the last two weeks is playing Simpsons oh. tapped out. So these are songs that are loosely based um, on the Simpsons tapped out. Because I always have to have a theme. But I, I Wait, know. what? These songs are loosely based <laughs> on the Simpsons tapped out? On, Simps- on the Simpsons in general, really. But Really? Because I have been playing tapped out. Yeah, really. Oh, I'm interested in hearing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the relationship is somewhat tangential and a little bit um, hard to, you know, it's, <laughs> it's vague. But it's a theme. Right. That's what's important. No. Okay. All right. So the first well, song. First, l- yes. let's, let's first make it clear to the audience. You too can listen to every single one of these songs as you're listening to us. Go to uh, Down to the Crossroads Facebook page. She, uh, Aaron posts the Spotify playlist there. Or you can check the website, 9centspodcast.com, and look at the segment um, Down to the Crossroads page. And all of her playlists are there as well. So this music is available for you to listen to at your pleasure and it's on spotify it's free so definitely check it out yes. so what's what do all we right. have first let's all hit play together all right our mm-hmm. first song is called prison bound by john lee hooker and Whoa. uh you like that don't you yeah i, do. I knew you would <laughs> it just opens with this incredible you know riff mm. So this was the reason I'm playing this is this was actually featured in an episode of The Simpsons. Um, oh really? Yeah, it was in an episode called um, American History Excellent, and <laughs> Mr. Burns goes to prison. So they play this song. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So, so that's why we're listening to this. But it's important that everyone listens to John Lee Hooker as much as possible. Anyway, I mean, I think you know the whole point of the show is. For me to tell people what they should be listening to <laughs> and it definitely should be john lee hooker at least once you know give him a shot because he is known he's known as the king of the endless boogie i mean that's that should be enough to compel people to listen to him I mean, he was born he, he lived a really long time he was born in 1917 and he only died in 2001 but i mean he's one of the one of the biggest names in sort of um he has a sort of talking blue style which uh, not in this song, but in a lot of his songs, there's a lot um, featured heavily. Yeah, that's what like, he's known for, yeah. Yeah, it's um, and then boogie woogie piano style and stuff. Um, but you know, if you listen to this, I think the first thing that you're struck by is that guitar playing, that sort of primitive, driving, rhythmic. You know, it's very much the focus of the song. It's just this sort of crazy guitar playing and then his you know his eerie sort of mournful <laughs> wailing and the the vocals are um sort of dark you know he had a lot of dark themes and this one of course about going to prison is terrible <laughs> i love i love me some johnny lee hooker yeah he is so fucking good and i feel like people don't like him because of his talking style mm. Like he he doesn't like sing it, for example. Yeah. But like it it is so, so fucking good. Like he has some amazing music. He's a hor- This is an example of a really bad person. Like he's not a good human being. Like, <laughs> he he has tons of fucking kids and tons of wives. So and that in my opinion means you are not a good person. Yeah. But 
or you just want to spread your seed. I don't know. It could, <laughs> that, it could be that. But God damn, if he can't play and just make you feel. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he's got one song that, that gets me every time. It's called Bring Me My Shotgun. It's just about, you know, killing, you know, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. And, you know, and my whoring girlfriend, too. And, yeah, I mean, he a lot of his lyrics were very dark and, and um, ruminative, you know, most just thoughtful and is uh, sort of different. You know, he was, um, he did the Detroit Blues Circuit at, right after World War II. Um and another another um, thread that goes through the three of these songs that I picked is that this is um, this one is sort of on the cusp of something. You know, this one is very um, very much rooted in the old Delta blues, and you can hear that easily. Mm. But it also is him, you know, playing the electric guitar and, and that great boogie woogie piano right there, um, and this oh, new yeah. style of singing. I mean, he was coming around in like the he started making music in the ninth, like the late forties. Which is pretty late for the blues era, you know, especially for stuff I play. But um, yeah. he's, uh, you know, like sort of at a crossroads. <laughs> hey. Hey. So that that's uh, John Lee Hooker, Prison Bound. I think that was recorded in 1949, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. So fucking good. Yeah, man. One thing I like about, about Hooker is that he doesn't. He, he, as a musician, and you, at least it seems to be a thread through all the music that you play on this segment, where these artists don't try. This is just them expressing yeah. themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and it, there, there's, a, there's a, a level of authenticity that you will never find in any modern top 40 chart list. Like every single one of those fucking bands that are at the top right now. And have been, you know, for the last hundred years. It's all manufactured. It's all meant to sell a product, mm-hmm. not for you to hear a message or just experience the the uh, musician. And when you're listening to these blues tracks, they it was nothing was manufactured. This was them being them with an instrument. And it is, it is so, it's so amazing to be able to to. To experience another human being in that way, mm-hmm. where there there's no pretentiousness involved, there's no built-up hype around it. It's just I, I'm gonna sing this song for you, and you take it for what you want, and it's just so fucking good. Yeah, and a lot of people really caught into him. They like Carlos. He went played with Carlos Santana, went out on tour with Van Morrison, the Rolling Stones, or Clapton. He was in the movie The Blues Brothers. Like he's he. People recognized him while he was alive that this was a national treasure, and uh, you know he got you know he got some dues when, while he was still alive, which is unusual and, and wonderful. Hell yeah! All right, so my next song I'm gonna hit play is Albert King. Ooh! Wow! <laughs> yes, and this, so this is much this is different. Much than more what produced. We, yes, a little different than what we usually listen to on Down on the Crossroads. But I, I did like this, um, as I said, this thread that's running through the three songs of this sort of intersection between the old and the new. And now Albert King is, is one of those people who, um, you know, we, let's see, I grew up in Mississippi, so he was from the Delta, you know, and then he ended up going to Memphis, I think is where he made his money. But uh, he, his, his first recordings were made with... Stax Records, and this this song actually was. And Stax is a huge record company. Everyone, um, 
you know, who's, who's pretty into music. They know Stax, along with like Atlantic Records. They put out a lot of soul, R&B and funk. Um, but they did put out some blues stuff too. And this song, this Albert King, Born Under a Bad Sign, is one of the first, um, oh man. The, so, so his backup band is Booker T and the MGs who mm. did that song, Green Onions and a bunch of other stuff. But they were like the Stax house band. So, um, I mean, this this record was huge at the time. This record is one of the most popular, definitely one of the most influential blues albums of the late 60s. Um, it's in the, you know, it's Grammy Hall of Fame, Blues Hall of Fame. The, you know, uh, Albert King has been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, he's a, it's a big deal. This is the song, this album is a huge deal. It is the, you know, uh, it represents the shift from straight blues, you know, what, what everyone was playing until this time. Mm-hmm. And then you put these horns behind him and um, plug him in and you get this. And this, I mean, this song has been covered by 50 bands, at least, you know, 50 artists have covered this song easy. Um, so and, an important question for yeah. you. Uh-huh. What's the Simpsons connection? <laughs> um, what is the Simpsons connection here? Wait, I know this. <laughs> oh, this song was <laughs> this song was parodied in one of the episodes. Homer actually sings it, so we can put <laughs> we can put Homer on the list of people who have covered this song. <laughs> nice, he fifty-one. <laughs> yep. So that's yeah, that's the uh, very tangential relationship <laughs> it has. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this was his first album for for Stax. It's the second album overall, but it's just. It's just phenomenal. I mean, this is groovy. This is great. But there, every song on this album is this good. And it even, um, you know, Pretty Woman, that Roy Orbison song, um, was taken from one, another song on that album. It's just, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, this is a, such a seminal blues record that very few people have heard. And it's worth hearing. I mean, Stax Records, there's this huge, this is a, that's a huge institution. Um, I'm responsible for so much of that Southern Memphis soul at the time that, uh, but to hear like, you know, people forget that they put out a lot of blues albums and this is by far the most influential blues albums that Stax put out. So I got to say it, one of my secret, um, well, not anymore, but one <laughs> of my secret favorite blues albums is buddy, um, buddy guy, heavy love. Uh-huh. And it sounds a lot like that. Yeah. Yeah, he does sound a lot like Buddy. Everybody guy sounds a lot like him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it, I mean, so I, I'm not averse to the style Mm-mm. of sound. Um, I, it's kind of like a secret, secret love of mine. Oh, even though I really yeah. like the more torn down blues too. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just a lot of fun to kind of groove out because it, again, it's a little bit more produced, a little bit more commercial, um, and the success is obviously apparent in that. But it still has soul, you know, it still has, it still has a fucking soul to it. And that that's rare in music. And it's, it's really fucking nice. Yeah. It's very moving. I mean, if you don't like that, if you, if you listen to that song and you're like, that's not for me, that's fine. Of course. But but (laughs) that's almost unfathomable to me that you'd be just like, I don't get it. You know, that was funky. That was bluesy. That was, soulful that was everything that music should be right there in that one song you know so anyway. oh, yeah. all right so and homer yes. covered it exactly so fuck 
So the, <laughs> the last song is just another version. I'm going to hit play now. Um, it's another version of the first song we listened to. This one's called Prison Bound Blues, and this is uh, Leo Carr and Scrapper Blackwell, who I might have played on the show before, but this is this is the old, this is the original version of the song. Mm. And if you remember, you know, we listened to the John Lee Hooker version. This obviously vastly different. It's still piano and guitar, um, but different, you know, very different. This is, Leo Carr is pretty well known as being just sort of an easy going pianist he was very um casual and unhairy you know just he took everything very slowly and he was very calm at the at the keyboard and it was um you know it affected the whole song the way he played the piano it's um so the this song as i said the thread being sort of this at the intersection this song is right at the intersection of the early rural blues and the more um uh, urban city blues that we hear later. Um, mm-hmm. So that that would start taking hold in the, in the 40s, I guess was pretty much. But this is post-World War II, but pre-electric urban blues. And that's the difference. You know, there's, you know, you can tell country blues, you can tell rural blues. Um, and when it starts moving toward the city, you know, it starts marching toward Memphis and Chicago and stuff like that. There was a time where they hadn't yet plugged in and they were still playing acoustic blues, but it was moving away from the Delta toward Chicago almost, you know, if you want to put it that way, sort of metaphorically speaking, but I mean, Carr, you know, Leo Carr, he wasn't much of a, he wasn't a great pianist, but he, um, there was that authenticity there behind him. And he wrote, you know, he wrote good songs. He wrote this song, he and Scrapper Blackwell. And, um, he was always very, there's something comfortable almost about the way he was very accessible. You know, this wasn't the kind of, this is the kind of blues you can just listen to and go, yeah, man, I, I get it. There's no work really involved. Um, sometimes you have to work to appreciate good music and that's fine. I love, I, you know, there's nothing I love more than working to like something, <laughs> but, um, this is the kind of thing you can just hear and be like, oh yeah, man, I get it. This may, this is just a good song. <laughs> I, I understand. Um. But he was a huge star in his day, and he, he, you know, composed and recorded almost 200 songs, during, and he didn't live very long, you know, he didn't have a very long life, but he had a very prolific career. Um, recording this song, I think, early, uh, late 20s, early 30s, so it was, you know, it was back then, but it was right on the cusp of when things were moving toward um, that plugged-in urban blues sound that we heard, you know. Um, but this, it, this, it, <laughs> the al- the name of this album is called Whiskey is My Habit, Women is All I Crave. So I mean any any album with that name it, there it's alright. Uh, so <laughs> fucking motto. Yeah. For me. <laughs> Whiskey is my habit, women is all I crave. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. I love this. I love this yeah. sound. I love the fucking record you can hear that it was recorded on. That static. Yeah. It's good For stuff. some reason I really, really like that. Oh yeah, that's the ambience. Mm-hmm. The ambience. The ambience. Fucking good stuff. Yep. Well, thank you, Aaron. That was amazing. You're Where can welcome. people find you online? I'm on Facebook. On on the the internet. The one and only internet. Uh, down to the crossroads on Facebook, and my Twitter handle is Chelsea Girl Nineteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely check her out, people. She posts a lot of stuff that is not included in this uh, monthly segment. 
and it is always really, really wonderful and fantastic to be reminded. Like I, I like I'll follow. I follow very few people on social networking, and so it's nice when I see a post from down at the crossroads because it's always something that I didn't know about. <laughs> like you're always educating me in this this wonderful obsession of blues, and it's. It's just really, really wonderful that I don't have to do the work. <laughs> I can just sit back and let you do the work for me, and I, I can still enjoy it, and it's a lot of fun. It's wonderful, so thank you for that. That is exactly why I do what I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and everyone out there listening, do yourselves a favor. Check it out and listen to this music, okay? So you can hear us talk back and forth on the podcast, and that's well and good, but this music really is fucking crazy good and and you will be doing yourself a service if you listen to it uh it can fucking change the way you see the world and uh, that sounds hyperbolic but i'm absolutely serious uh, as far as music and music is concerned it is right at, at the fucking top the pinnacle of, of what is wonderful about human beings um so check it out but i think i think that's gonna do it for us yeah for another show, that's that's fucking it. We've run long enough, uh, <laughs> longer than enough. I blame myself. Right. <laughs> no, not at all. I love it. <laughs> I hope you listeners enjoyed it, and we would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents, if I even fucking said that right. <laughs> Too much homebrew. <laughs> I'm indulging, motherfuckers. Uh, and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Mondays via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stu- Stitcher, <laughs> Spotify, and YouTube. So look for us there. You can subscribe to 9cents via iTunes by searching 9cents. And don't forget to leave a rating and a comment. So I still get people um, contacting me telling me that when they stream from the website... It will either pause and restart, or it, like the, it's just not fast enough to download. And I, my suggestion is to subscribe via RSS, download the podcast either from the website or from iTunes or something, so that it's on your device, and then listen to it. Yeah. You won't have to worry about buffering. You won't worry have to worry about anything because it's right on your device. Uh, you do that, and you won't have to worry about. It. Or just go to YouTube. And it's a whole different system setup. So, uh, and again, remember, we're on Last of M, Stitcher, and Spotify. They all do their own thing as well. It's not all just cycled right through the website. So, if you are having problems, that's my suggestion to you. And of course, if you want to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, there's only one place on the intertubes to go, and that is churchofsatan.com. So, do yourself a favor, check out the website. It is full of valuable information that seemingly people don't know about or they just don't want to read about. It's really good stuff. You should check it out. And remember that the only way that this podcast is going to continue is if you share it. And I love it when you guys retweet tweets or share posts. It really means a lot. Continue to do so. Let's spread the word together thank you so much for your interaction and once again thank you for joining me and as always i'm your host adam campbell being joined by aaron my favorite my favorite <laughs> uh, and until next week people hail satan hail satan